Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good for us to be together. Jehovah God is our creator. He is our heavenly father and he is our judge. All that God is, everything about him, is tempered by his holiness. His justice is holy. His loving kindness is holy. And so is his wrath and indignation as well. Everything that God is and everything that God has done and still does is holy. The biblical record, our Bible, is divinely inspired of God. God chosen men spoke and they wrote. They spoke and wrote by the direction of the Holy Spirit, the word or the words of God. And that's clearly brought out as you read for passages like 2 Peter or 2 Timothy. So the Old Testament books of history tell us about people. They tell us about events as seen from God's viewpoint. Through the lenses of God's mind and God's will. As he, throughout time, was working out that predestined plan of ultimately redeeming mankind through his son. So, we need to learn those Bible stories. And that's why we have Bible classes you know, of all ages, so that we are teaching God's word, learning those stories from beginning to end as God has revealed to us. And as we learn them, we need to remember them. We need to remind ourselves of who God is and what God did. In the days of Eli and Samuel... God punished individuals for the sins which they had been committing. They reaped what they had sown. Now God was holy and is is still holy. And so God righteously executed his judgments on earth. He decided when and he decided how. So we'll open your Bibles, open your Old Testaments to the book of 1 Samuel. And I wanted to take the time to read these verses in the second chapter of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter. Verse 22 through verse 36. Now Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? The evil thing that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good what you hear the Lord's people circulating. 
If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen. They would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now, the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say to your house and the house of your father, that you should walk before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And to those who despise me, will I lightly be esteemed. Behold, the days are coming. The days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in his house forever. I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve. And all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul and I will build him an adoring house and he will walk before my anointed ways always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign to me one of the priest's offices so that I, might have, so that I may eat a piece of bread." These are sobering words when you stop and take the time to just to read and think about what God is saying to Eli about his family. What we begin with is the fact that you have some priest of God here who despised and dishonored God. Earlier in this chapter, you looked at maybe above or turn a page back in your Bibles, depending, and you see there in verse 12 through verse 17 of the same chapter, 1 Samuel, that Eli's sons are called worthless men. Some versions may word it as corrupt men or base fellows. It really comes from you know, an expression that literally says sons of Belial, which means sons of worthlessness. 
And so it begins there in verse 12 when he says, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They were worthless. What kind of men are these? These are priests of God. Priests of God that God is telling us were worthless men. But why? Why were they worthless? Well, the root cause of the fact they, they did not know God as they should have. They, they lacked a knowledge of God. You see that in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, now the sons of Eli were with his men. They did not know the Lord. And went on to say, and also they did not know the custom of the priests with the people. So they lacked a knowledge of God and they were ignorant of really of what was expected of them who served and filled the office of priest before God. You continue reading here in this little paragraph, 12 through 17, and what you find is this, that these two sons, these worthless sons, were greedily taking unlawfully the choicest food portions from the sacrifices that the people of Israel were bringing and presenting before God. So here they are, they are greedily taking what is not theirs to have. He talks about how they would come, you know, where there's meat in the pot and they come with a three-pronged fork and they would just jab down there and then take whatever came out. Or if another, they're going to bring a burnt offering and they're supposed to you know, offer that as a burnt offering and, and burn the fat and then, you know, you would have a portion given to you. Now, God... In the law of Moses, going back to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, God had specified what was the priest's portions. Now, we won't take the time to read, you know, read all those verses, but you can go back. You know, God has specified what portions was to go to the priest. And he's very specific about a number of those things. And what's going on in 1 Samuel is not that. That's not what's being done. Instead, we are told that they, you know, God has said, they despised my offering. They have despised the offering of the Lord. How? How are they despising God's offerings that are being brought to him? He says, by basically taking what was not theirs to have. That's what's going on here. They're taking what was not theirs to have. That's total irreverence for God. That's what that is. Completely, absolutely, total irreverence. Taking what is not theirs to have. I would suggest to you that sin, in its rudimentary nature, sin is that. Think about it. All sin is taking what is not ours to have. Because it's rooted in the idea of selfishness. It's rooted in the idea and the concept of covetousness. It's rooted in the idea of pride. All sin, in one way or another, whether it's a sin of our heart or sin of our eyes or sin of our flesh, whether it's a personal sin or it's a sin in our worship, all sin is taking what is not ours to have. And that's what these priests, these two worthless priests were doing. 
They were taking what was not theirs to have. But that's not all. It wasn't, the sin was not just associated with, with the offerings that they're dishonoring, despising, but also we were told the Hophni and Phinehas were also committing sexual immorality. You are serving at the doorway of the temple, of the courts there, of the tabernacle. They're taking what is not theirs to have. And God says they sinned greatly by committing evil. Priest of God. Priest of God. You're not talking about the idolatrous person out here in Philistia or Moab or Ammon. We are in the period of the judges still. And you've got this whole attitude of unfaithfulness, disobedience. That's a cycle that they are having difficulty to break from and not go back to. But you have here, these are priests of God who are taking what is not theirs. They're defiling and dishonoring the sacrifices that the people are offering. And then also they're having sexual relationships with these women. And so, as we have noted in our reading in chapter 2, verse 34, God told Father Eli, God told Eli that his two sons, who were priests, and Eli was a priest too. He told them, your two sons are going to die, and they're going to die in the prime of their life. Eli is old. Hophni and Phinehas are not. They're in the prime of their life, and he says, this is the sign. When they die, it's going to be the same day. The same day, they're going to die because of the evil and the sins they have committed against me. So what's a thought we can take from this? A practical application. I think one is this. Christians are called into the priesthood of Christ. We are priests in a spiritual concept, in a figurative way, we are priests of God in and through Christ. We are called into the priesthood of Christ. And that's clearly brought out in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, where it talks about how, you know, you are a living stone, and as a living stone, one of the things that makes you unique and special is that you are a, you are a holy priesthood, you are a royal priesthood in Christ. Revelation talks about how we have been called to be a kingdom of priests. Christians, all Christians are called into the priesthood of Christ. Now, our priesthood is not the same as in the Old Testament. It's not the same as as we read under the law of Moses. It's not the same. And, And so, you know, we're not called to carry out what the priests of the Old Testament were called to do. But we are called as priests to be what? We're called to be holy. Holy in our words, holy in our conduct, holy in our relationship, holy in our worship. All aspects of our lives are to be a reflection, a manifestation, a demonstration of people who are devoted to God in fearful obedience. Holiness. 1 Corinthians there 6, where it says, you have been bought with a price. God paid the price. He says, you have been bought. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body. God's way, not man's way. It's not about taking what is not ours to have, but rather giving what belongs to God. In Romans 12 and also back in 1 Peter chapter 2 as well, we are, we're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to be living sacrifices that are acceptable to God, which are, is our reasonable service unto him. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Not just any kind of sacrifice. Well, again, they have to be sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Living ones and spiritual ones. And the story of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas as well as you have priests of God who are taking what's not theirs and they are dishonoring and they're defiling and despising God by their behavior, by their actions. So you think about that. When it comes to our possessions and our incomes, when it comes to our bodies and our desires, when it comes to our lives and time, are we taking the choicest and best for ourselves first? That's what Hophni Phinehas did. God had given instruction about the portion that they would receive from the sacrifices. Yes, the priests were to receive a portion uh, of those sacrifices to feed them and their families. But what was going on here in the days of Eli and Samuel is these sons, these worthless men, are taking what was not theirs to have. They were taking the choicest. They were taking the best for themselves. And God says, I will be esteemed. And I will be honored by my people and by my priests. And so he demands of his people then and still today, his children in Christ, he demands that we draw near to him. And treat him reverently. Not profanely by simply doing what man wants to do for his own satisfaction. Priest of God despise God. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We can dishonor our God by not being the kind of spiritual living priesthood that we are called to be through God's grace in our faith. What's another point we can draw from this account in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and the chapters kind of surrounding this story? The second one is this, and that is a father failed to discipline properly his sons. A father failed to discipline properly his sons. If you go back to our reading here in the second chapter of 1 Samuel, if you, you take note and look carefully at you know, what God is saying, Jehovah rebuked Eli. Oh, yes, he is, he is pronouncing judgment against Hophni and Phinehas. You know, definitely that's there. But he's also rebuking Eli for his dealings, for his involvement with the sins of his adult sons. Now, as you read here in verse 23 through 25, Eli talked to them. 
you know, it seems that you know, uh, this uh, it sounds a bit like a reproof from Eli. And so, yes, Eli had reached out to them. He had, he had, you know, had spoken to them about what he was hearing that they were doing. But when you look at the whole thing that God says, it appears, at least in my judgment, it appears to me that Eli didn't do enough according to God. According to God's judgment, Eli didn't do enough. He talked to him, to them, I should say, that he reproved them, but still God is judging him for his involvement here. Now, the law of Moses, we clearly know and understand, the law of Moses commanded, it, it, it prohibited the, the idea of sexual immorality and also commanded what you know, the punishments were to be associated with sexual morality, depending on the specific situation, the individuals and the matters at hand. And so there's a number of passages you can turn to, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that talks about sexual morality and the consequences of those sins. In most cases, not in everyone, but in most cases, the punishment for sexual morality was the death penalty. In most cases. Eli knew the law. Eli knew the law, and he had heard about his sons. And he, 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 he talked to them about this. He was not happy. You know, it was disconcerting to Eli about what was going on. But you think about the example of Nadab and Abihu. This would have been a story that Eli would have known as well. Where you have two sons of another priest... Aaron, the first high priest, and you got his two sons who are also priests, Nadab, who, who despised and profaned the sacrifice of incense, and God consumed them with fire. Eli ought to have taken to heart the gravity of his son's sins. He should have taken it to heart. And realizing the evil that they are committing how they are committing sexual immorality, they are defiling the sacrifices, and it should have moved him to take some action. It should have moved him to do more. But God judged Eli for honoring his sons above him. Verse 29 again. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me forever? No, excuse me, I misread that wrong. Above, above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. Why are you kicking against the sacrifice and offering? Why are you honoring your sons above me? He is, God is pronouncing judgment against the two sons in this, in this revelation that comes to Eli from a man of God. But he is also rebuking and judging Eli, the dad. Eli did not do, he was not doing what his sons were doing 
among the people. He wasn't himself literally doing it. But Eli was not innocent in the matter. As a father and as a priest, he should have removed their sins from Israel. He should have removed their sins from Israel. But he wasn't. They're still doing it. They're still defiling the sacrifices and they're still engaged in sexual immorality. Priest of God. God's rebuke, when I, when I think and meditate a bit on verse 29, God's rebuke appears to imply, especially when he talks about this idea of honoring your sons above me, above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering in my people Israel. It seems to imply that Eli is benefiting from the son's sins. Eli is benefiting from the taking of the choices portions of the offerings that was not due the priest. At least it sounds that way to me. And that's why God says to Eli, not just to Hophni and Phinehas, he's saying to Eli, the dad, why do you kick against my sacrifice? He's not the one going up to, to the pot with a fork. He's not the one sending his servant demanding. You know, no, the sons are doing that. He's not the one you know, laying with women immorally. No, he's not doing that, but he says, you kick against my sacrifice and my offering and you honor your sons above me, Eli, me, he says. So Eli and his family, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to be judged and they're going to suffer the consequences of their actions. And you see that this in the warning of chapter two, you see this in, in, in the execution of that in chapter four. So what's the lesson? What's the application on this point? Well, it should be obvious, shouldn't it? Do we honor our children above our God and Redeemer? Do we honor our children above our God and Redeemer? In God's word, in the New Testament, the new covenant of Christ, godly fathers are to be the primary parent who teaches the children the way of the Lord. Godly fathers are to be the primary teachers of their children concerning the way of the Lord. And that's clearly brought out in Ephesians 6 verse 4. And sometimes I think we make the mistake and say, you know, okay, our helpmeet is helping us. And yes, she is, and rightfully so. But that's not what's directed to the father. It's to the fathers. Bring up your children in the way of the Lord, the admonition of the Lord. And Colossians 3 harmonizes with that, that concept and the, way, and the manner we do that. And how we need to be careful in regard to our approach. There's another passage that talks about men of faith, and that's over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, where it talks about providing for your family. And in the, in, the, in the context of that chapter, it appears to be, you're talking more so about the physical needs of, of your family. And it goes beyond just your kids, your wife and your kids in that context. But I would suggest to you, 
us dads, I would suggest to us dads that the greater provision needed is not the roof and the food and the clothes. But the greater nourishment needed is the spiritual nourishment and the spiritual discipline of the one faith in Christ Jesus. Do we honor our children above our God and our Redeemer? Matthew 10 is a very familiar text. It is. It is a very familiar text. And and we often turn to it in talking about the cost of discipleship. And we, and we understand what it is saying, but do we implement what it's saying? Do we practice what it's saying? When it says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Our love for God, our love for his commandments and his ways must take priority, must take First place priority above the blessing of family. It must. And it must take priority above the blessing of our children. Eli is rebuked for honoring his sons above God. Eli didn't approve of everything his sons were doing, and that's obvious. But his actions or lack of actions, God judges and says, why are you kicking against my sacrifice? Eli, you're you're kicking against my sacrifices too. Why are you honoring your sons above me? That's why we need to remember the stories of the Bible. Because these stories are not just about the people. It's about the God that we serve and his dealings, his blessings and his judgments among the people that walked on earth. So in conclusion, God's providence, God chose the circumstance and the instrument of his justice here in these chapters. God said, because of these sins, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Your entire family is going to be affected. It's going to be impacted because of your sins, Eli and your sons. But I would suggest to you that before that judgment happened, Before God implemented it and executed, God showed long-suffering toward the guilty. We're given this quick reading, chapter 2, chapter 3, and we do not know the the time lapse that is at play here. So how long were they sinning before God spoke judgment to Eli? Eli. There is some time there. Do I know what, how long? No, I don't know what the, the answer to that question. But there is some time that has, that has lapsed here before God actually did send the man of God to Eli. So God was long-suffering before 
the pronouncement of judgment. But then the second question, well, how much time passed from that moment before God's judgment was implemented in chapter 4? So how much time happened between chapter 2 and chapter 4? I don't know, but there again, there is some time that has passed before and post this warning in chapter 2. God is long-suffering. God showed long-suffering to Ahaphne and Phinehas. God showed long-suffering to Eli. But here's even a, a third question. What action should have been taken as soon as God pronounced the warning and judgment to Eli? What should had Eli done? What should he done? Repented, that's what. Take the example of the Ninevites. You know, generations past this occasion. In, in the days of the divided kingdom, in the days when Jonah the prophet is serving God, and God sends him to this wicked, idolatrous country that everybody feared. Jonah, Jonah didn't even want to go. But he ends up going. You know the story. And he preaches the message. And what happened? These unbelieving, non-God-fearing people suddenly believed the message and feared God. And they took action. And you read there in chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, you know, when the king said, basically calls for everyone to, to, to fast and to mourn and to stop committing the evil that they've been doing. Because he said, perhaps God will relent. That's what Eli should have done, but he did not. He didn't change his ways. And nor did Hophni and Phinehas change their ways. God was long-suffering with them. But then God does what? God defeated Israel through the Philistines. And you know, you, you look there in chapter 4 as, as the battle takes place. And you've got the Philistines, you know, come together, you know, you know to, to fight against the Israelites. Interestingly, it is, it is near a little town, a little place called Ebenezer. Don't you find this interesting? At a place called Ebenezer, rock of help, rock of refuge. What happens to Israel? They're defeated. In verse 2, the Philistines were up in battle to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. They lost that day in chapter 4 at a place called Ebenezer. And then they ask in verse 3, when the people came into their camp after the defeat, the elders of Israel are now asking themselves, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Why has God let this happen? That's a good question. Why are we defeated? Why? And they see God is the one who defeated them here. As you continue to read here, they, are, they have a misunderstanding of the significance and the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant. And they think, well, well, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring it out of its rightful place in the tabernacle, in the most holy place. Let's bring it out. Let's bring it to battle because if we'll bring it into battle, then God will be my rock of help. 
my rock of deliverance. So they do. They bring it out. They take it into battle. And you see that there is this misunderstanding. And even the Philistines, when they hear the excitement, you know, they're a little bit confused. They're kind of scaring them as well. But once again, God is in control in, in this situation. The, as the things are unfolding, there, there is free will at play, yes. But ultimately, what's going on here is a judgment from God. And as you look down in verse 10, and so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. This is the second time. Defeated a second time by the same people. And he says, every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. And for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. So now you're up to, they've lost 34,000 people. 34,000 from the first bout to the second. Now there's a total of 34,000 men have died in battle against the Philistines. And he goes on to say, and the ark of, of God was taken. And so not only do you have the, the loss of life, you've got you know, the Philistines take the ark of the covenant. You know, what should not have left the, the tabernacle is now you know, taken in, in, into Philistia territory. And then he says, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Point in conclusion, is simply this. And that is, God executed this judgment. God said, this is going to happen. How much time elapsed, I, I don't know. But God always keeps his promise. And God always does what he says he would do in harmony with his character, with his holiness. His judgment here was righteous. It was a righteous judgment against Hophni and Phinehas, but also against Israel. It is a righteous judgment. And the manner he carried it out was a just manner because sin is serious. Sin, all sin is transgression. In a serious, you know, taking what is not ours to have and the wages of sin is death. And physical death is not the worst death. Physical death is in this world because of sin, Adam and Eve. But that's not the greater death that we must fear and seek deliverance from. It is spiritual death. It is eternal death. So God has told us this story about Eli, the story about Hophni and Phinehas, the story about Israel to teach us. It's here to teach us, to teach us about faithful reverence for God. And so time and time again, as you read and study in the Old Testament, you do, you see God, Jehovah God, is a God who punished disobedience throughout the ages. He has done that throughout the ages, within time, Within the boundaries of time's framework, God has, from time to time, executed judgments on men, disobedient, unfaithful men, in their lifetime because of sin. And he will continue to pour out his wrath upon all sons of disobedience in his way, in his timing. When, how, where he will do that, I don't know. But he's a holy God, he's a just God, 
and he's a holy and just judge. But he is also long-suffering. He is extremely long-suffering. Because what God desires most of all, what God wants most of all, is not our end being eternally separated from him. That's not what God desires for us. What God desires for us is that we would come to repentance. That's what God wants. When you think about the character of God, I think even at the time when God spoke to Eli there in chapter 2, what God ultimately desired of Eli was repentance. That's what God wanted. But they didn't. They didn't repent. But there is a time coming when all of humanity will face God in judgment. And all of humanity will be recompensed for the deeds of their body that they have committed in life. In the life that God gave them here on earth. We will all give an account. But God desires all of us to come to repentance. So God has provided a means. He has provided a savior for us. So that we can escape the holy, righteous outpouring of God's indignation upon sinners. God has provided a way that we can be reconciled to our creator that we have disobeyed, that we can be forgiven by our creator, and that we can be saved and delivered from the wrath that is to come. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, you must believe that God is, but also you must believe that Jesus is God's son and that Jesus is God's Christ, and that Jesus is raised from the dead. He is alive forevermore. You must believe that with all your heart. If you do, but you have not turned your life to him, and you are walking in sin, you are continuing on a path of, that is described as the sons of disobedience, God wants, God desires you to repent to turn from that path away from the sins you have committed, confess your faith with your mouth before others, and be buried in the watery grave of baptism so that you may put on Christ, clothe yourself with Christ, and be washed and cleansed by the power of God. God offers us that. But he warns us, there is a day that I will judge all the sons of disobedience because he's a holy God. A God of love, yes, but a God of light that has no fellowship with that which is unrighteous and ungodly and dark. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, why not today? Turn your life to him, submit it in obedience, call upon his name, by being buried with Christ in baptism. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite you, encourage you, please come now while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.